Hi, Insiders! It's Haley joining you today to take an insider's look at Marvel Studios' Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. It's an epic sci-fi adventure with twists, turns, and action to kick off Phase 5 of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Scott Lang and Hope Van Dyne return to continue their adventures as Ant-Man and the Wasp. Together with Hope's parents Jack and Hank and Scott's daughter Cassie, the family finds themselves exploring the quantum realm, interacting with strange new creatures and embarking on an adventure that will push them beyond the limits of what they thought possible. Insiders, I love the Ant-Man movies and happy to see our little hero back on the big screen. The quantum realm that we explore not only looks stunning, but we meet new characters and challenges along the journey. There's humor, action, and at the heart of the movie, a story about family. Let's hear more about Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania with one of the movie's producers, Stephen Broussard. Welcome, Stephen. Hi, thanks for having me. Of course. Now, before we talk about Ant-Man, you have a long history with Marvel Studios. Can you tell our listeners what other Marvel projects you've worked on? Oh, gosh, yeah. I've been here for a while. I go back to the earliest days of the company. So my first project was actually The Incredible Hulk. No way. Uh, yeah, way back in 2008, which feels like such a long time ago. And then, yeah, I've been I've been fortunate to work on a lot of things since then. I worked on the first Captain America film, on, on Iron Man 3, Doctor Strange. Um, I did the last Ant-Man and the Wasp film with Peyton. Uh, so okay. it's great to reteam with him on this. And then I've been a part of um, the the new era of, uh, of Disney Plus, which has been exciting and a different kind of storytelling muscle. So I worked on Loki. I did the Werewolf by Night special. Um, which have been really fun and very different. Oh, that's so cool. I I wanted to ask you more about the Disney Plus stuff. And that's so fun. But that's really fun that you've had such a, a breadth of, of knowledge in the Marvel universe. Um, did your love of Marvel begin with comics? Are you a big comic book fan? How did that, how did you get your love for all things Marvel? Sure. Yeah. I definitely read comics growing up. Um, and I was, I was an omnivore. I read Marvel and loved Marvel. I also read Batman and, and loved DC, you know, um, okay. I also, and I was a movie kid, you know, but maybe primarily a movie kid, uh, uh, really fell in love with, with movies and wanted to pursue that as a career. And when the opportunity to work at Marvel studios came around, which was a long time ago, and it was the company did not look like it does now. I, it felt like a chance to work on the kind of big movies that inspired me, like 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 Indiana Jones and and Star Wars, like Lucas and Spielberg movies, right. big picture, big canvas storytelling. Oh, cool! That's that's so fun. And what like I don't know what a legend to have been worked on all these Marvel movies. It's so cool. Yeah. Um. Okay. So something that. I feel like we as insiders know, but maybe our listeners don't, is we'd love to talk to you more about the role of a producer in a movie. I know that there's, obviously you look at the credits and you just see a list of all these different producers. Mm -hmm. Can you tell us a little bit more about what exactly your role is as a producer on this film? Absolutely. It's a very fair question. It's one, you know, I'm not sure even my family understands <laughs> after all these years. And I think part of the reason for that is, uh, there's no one definition of the job. It's kind of whatever the film requires, whatever the, the relationship with the filmmaker requires and movie to movie, you know, like the, each movie at Marvel Studios is different and requires uh, different roles. And for me to wear different hats, one of the exciting things about working at Marvel and being a producer here is that I get to be involved from day one. I'm there when it's just a, a tiny seed of an idea and I get to wow. build that idea. I get to, I get to ideate on what it, what the movie could be. I get to help look for writers and directors to, to grow that idea way beyond, of course, anything I could do on my own. 
and then shepherd it every step of the way. You know, I'm kind of in, in lockstep with the filmmaker, supporting the director and supporting the film at whatever whatever it needs, whether that's developing the story, casting the film, prepping to shoot the film there day in and day out, putting out whatever fire comes up on set. And then one of the great things about Marvel is you're never really asked to go away. You, you're with the movie all the way through post and and and, and marketing. And, you know, days like today, we're, we're releasing the film and, and telling people uh, why we're so excited to see the film. And that's not always the case. You know, sometimes producers are only at a certain part of the process or maybe focus more on the logistics and less on the creative. I love that at Marvel, we get to look at everything, you know, and get to sort of touch everything and to do it with the, with the, the trust of the filmmaker and the trust of the director, like that relationship supporting a director is kind of the, the most satisfying uh, parts of the process. And when it's really clicking, it's, it's, it can be really awesome and fulfilling. Wow, that, that sounds like such a special experience because I feel like that's so rare, especially in today to be able to really be on it from start to finish. So it's really, really cool that uh, that's so unique about Marvel. Well, tell us a little bit more about the Ant-Man films in itself. What do you love about these characters? What makes them unique to you? Uh, it's a great question. And it sort of feeds into the, like the, the why of, of the specifics of this movie. You know, I, I did not make the first film. That was a colleague of mine named Brad Winderbaum, who's still around at Marvel and doing amazing stuff on the streaming side. But I was a huge fan of it. And I love the tone. I love the humor. I love... Peyton's mastery of the tone and, and, and Paul is just so funny and, and everything about that film felt so fresh that when part two came around and, and it looked like there was an opportunity that I that I was working on, could choose my next project, I was very interested in that because I hadn't done anything that was kind of as humorous and as funny. So I put my hand up and really clicked with the whole team, with Evangeline and with Paul and, and, and Peyton and had a blast doing it. And to answer your question, like what's special about them, it's it's kind of the, the tone of, of, of those characters in that family. It's very unique. It's very much like a, a family comedy um, with these characters we know and we love that keep getting dropped in these fantastical situations. And both of the first movies were kind of these smaller stakes, San Francisco-based crime movies. They were crime adjacent, right? Like, right. like a heist movie or... Um, uh, we called it a one bad night movie, which is what was kind of our archetype for part two. Okay. Um, and we really like the idea of like taking the absolute best thing about these movies, which is the characters, is the family, uprooting that dynamic with all their same problems and 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 quarrels and dropping them in this sci-fi epic, this this essentially a a war movie, a, a, you know, all these great sci-fi touchstones that we love but still the same family with still the same quirks and problems. That was very interesting to me. So we didn't lose what we liked about, about, about the franchise. We just put it in a different context, which was an exciting thing to do. Um, all right. Well, speaking in theme of the movie, I have a fun question for you. Um, would you rather be able to shrink, fly, or control time for a superpower? My goodness. Uh, <laughs> I guess I, I guess I got to go flight. That seems like such a thrill, right? You know, shrinking seems very dangerous. Uh, as this controlling time, <laughs> <laughs> I think I'd have to go with the same. I feel like controlling time would just give me way too much power, and I, I wouldn't be a fan of that. I, I think it, flying would be fun. All three can get you into into a lot of trouble, I imagine. But but flying seems like the most the most fun, the lowest, the lowest stakes. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> the lowest stakes, but the most fun, most personal fun, most personal satisfaction. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. 
I wanted to touch back on, um, you know, talking about how you're starting to work a little bit more on the Disney plus side. Um, mm -hmm. what is that like, um, working, you know, going from a big theatrical release to something more on a, a streaming Disney plus platform? Are there any differences in the way that you and the teams work knowing that the scale is a little bit different? Yeah, abso absolutely. I mean, they're very different and, and, and part of the fun is approaching them as being different. Again, when, when it looked like Disney Plus was a thing that was going to happen and, and Marvel Studios was going to get into telling more serialized storytelling, which, you know, is Marvel Comics bread and butter, obviously, and, right. and the MCU has adapted that, uh, obviously. I, again, sort of put my hand up as, as someone that was interested in that because it's a different storytelling muscle, right? Like a, a two-hour, three-act film, uh, there's, you know, infinite ways to tell a story like that but it's a different experience telling a story across six hours, right? Which is what right. season one was. And I was interested to sort of see how that would break down being a fan mm -hmm. of, of so many great television shows and in, in this, you know, so-called golden age of television, which is a term we've heard before. And not only do that, but to do it with Tom, to do it with, with Loki, who's he, Tom is such a compelling actor. Loki is such a compelling character and he's the bad guy. He's the villain. Right. And, and you you always look at like the great TV or the TV that I've loved, whether it's like Don Draper or Tony Soprano. These, these guys are antiheroes that are misunderstood. Sure. But you have the real estate to kind of get under the hood about what makes them tick. And knowing what an amazing performer we had in Tom, that was an exciting opportunity that you may not necessarily have time to do in a two hour movie, you know? Definitely. Um, so yeah, it was, it was fun. It was, it was a different muscle is how the only way I can describe it. And you know, as these these projects are so difficult and all consuming that you have to look for these ways to to to, to remain excited and passionate. All filmmakers do, and whatever they do, to to if you're going to devote these years of your life to them. Right. And with that, it was kind of a no brainer. Thank you so much, Stephen. It was such a pleasure getting to meet you and talk with you. Oh, thank you so much. Real pleasure. Pleasure. And now joining us, we're talking to Catherine Newton, who plays Cassie Lang. Welcome, Catherine. Nice to meet you. First question I wanted to ask you is how long did you need to keep it a secret that you were joining the MCU as Cassie? Well, I got the offer and I couldn't say anything and I didn't believe it. And then I, you know, saw the announcement while I was filming the movie and I still didn't believe it. It took like a year, you know, I had to keep this secret. People ask me if I'm in the movie and be like, I don't know what you're talking about. So it was um, not that hard because... I love things that are sacred. You know, I love secrets. I think um, I cherish secrets, you know, like like pets. I keep them like pets. And uh, so it was fun to have it as a secret. You know, now it's the world's, and I, I hope that everyone loves my Cassie. I love that. Awesome. Well, talking a little bit more about Cassie and your character, did you do any sort of research when you were going into this role um, beforehand? Oh, I definitely did. And I really um, have, like... It's like an encyclopedia, you know, Marvel is endless, you know, and the possibilities, the, the nothing is impossible, you know, in the Marvel universe. But our script was so great. Our script written by Jeff Loveness just captured this girl, this essence of this girl and who she wants to be that I felt like it was just all on the page. This version of Cassie, where she is today in this movie, was all right there. And then our director, Peyton Reed, he just let me... He just believed in me. He trusted me. And that's really all I needed was that. And then I was able to do it and have a great time. And Paul Rudd made me laugh every day. I got so lucky. <laughs> that's awesome. And did you um, do anything particular to bond with the cast when you guys started shooting the film? Do you guys have any fun rituals or things you would do? We didn't have any rituals or anything. I mean, 
Look at who I'm working with. I'm working with legends, okay? <laughs> they show up on set. They are in it. They don't need any bonding time. They don't need any rehearsal time. <laughs> Action, let's go. It's perfect. Moving on. But um, truthfully, Paul is such an open person. You know, he was so open and gave me space and just told me not to hold back and to take risks and not not be afraid to fail. And I think that when he said that, that's all I needed to hear. And then every day was new. Every day was a new process of finding things that worked and things that were funny. And uh, it was really easy to find that connection and that father-daughter chemistry because he's just a great actor. It was yeah. like nothing. It wasn't even work. It was the easiest job I've ever done. That's so, that's, that's so fun. That's so awesome. Um, speaking, you know, more about like Cassie as a person and her relationship with her father, is there any particular traits about her that you admire or something that really drew you to the character? Well, I was, um, she's an every girl girl. She's like everybody. She's not, you know, she doesn't have like a secret mutant thing or she's just a normal girl like you and me, right? She's just trying to figure it out. And I think that that's my favorite thing about her is that she's not perfect, she makes a lot of mistakes, but she cares about people to a fault. She cares too much, and she leads with her heart, and she doesn't really think before she takes an action. Um, so that's my favorite thing about her is her heart. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much. It was so wonderful to meet you. Thank you for joining us to talk about Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. Thank you. Joining us next to further talk about the MCU, fandom, and to take on the Insider Five is Perry Nemiroff. Hi, Perry. So nice to meet you. Hello, hello. I'm so happy to be on today. Thank you for coming. We appreciate it. Um, I would love to uh, to tell our listeners, you know, a little bit about yourself. Where are you from? What do you do? And um, where they might know you from? Oh my, so many answers to all those questions. I'm I'm from New York. I'm a New Yorker at heart, but I'm also splitting my time between New York and LA. So I have two homes at this point. I'm very oh, wow. thankful for it. Yeah, I, I kind of love it. I kind of love it. There's a lot going on in both places <laughs> and very different things in both places. Um, I work at Collider where I'm a, a senior producer, which basically just means I, I mainly focus on video content. And at this point, I'm primarily doing interviews. So it's just... It really is one of the coolest jobs ever. I get to interview all the the filmmakers and storytellers that that I admire most. And I love my job. I might love (laughs) my job too much because I can do it all the time and I need to cover every movie and show I can get my hands on. (laughs) Well, that's amazing. How does it feel being the interviewee instead of the interviewer? It's weird. I was thinking about that before I signed on. I, I feel like this has only happened maybe, maybe like once or twice in the past. And I feel like usually I'm giving, like everyone always wants to know how to get into the business where I've uh-huh a couple of film school students who know more about, you know, what program to study and things like that. But in terms of just talking about what I do, that's, that's very foreign to me. (laughs) All right. Well, let's talk about something fun that we all love to talk about. Uh, I would love to hear what was the first Marvel movie that you ever watched? The very first Marvel movie. I would I would assume I, there's probably ones before this, but but one of the first theater memories I have is probably Sam Raimi's Spider-Man. Okay. I loved I loved Sam Raimi's Spider-Man, and then I vividly remember being so enthusiastic about that movie that the second Spider-Man in his iteration of the franchise was my first time ever lining up outside of a theater to see it at midnight, and I just remember that feeling like it was the biggest deal in the world. 
That's so crazy. That's impressive that you remember the first movie you stood outside in a line for. That must have yeah. made a really big impression. Oh, that's that is a very clear memory in my mind. And, and you know, you dress many, up? More, many more movies were added to that list after, <laughs> especially as I started to go to film festivals and I started to fall deeper and deeper in love with horror movies and oh, nice midnight lineups and, and Sam Raimi. I feel like uh, I had seen his Evil Dead movies before I saw Spider Man, so oh. that marriage there was just perfect. That's awesome. Uh, would you say that that's what drew you into the Marvel universe overall? Or is there a specific movie that, you know, really just hooked you and you were like, I, I, I'm stuck forever? I take great pride in the fact that I might have my favorites and, and you know, I'm a human being with personal taste, but, but I love storytelling in general. And even when something doesn't seem like it's up my alley, I, I strive to go out of my way to see different things. But Marvel definitely has a pretty big place in my heart. And I mean, I, I've seen every single Marvel movie. If I'm, if I'm trying to think about like one specific one that had like a very unique special spark to it, it was probably Guardians of the Galaxy, which is my all time favorite Marvel movie. I just love James. I love James Gunn's irreverent style. I think he's a one of a kind filmmaker where you could totally tell whenever he's worked on a film or a show, that Mm. thing would never be the same if any other director on the planet had touched it. So I love that about about Guardians and also the fact that it's about a bunch of misfits who make (laughs) mistakes. I love seeing movies about characters who make mistakes and learn and grow from them because that's like the most human quality in the world. That's no, I mean, I love that too. I think it's something so like special and different because it's something that we can all relate to, right? Oh, exactly. Okay. Well, besides from Marvel, you hinted a little bit that you have a love from horror. What would you say that you watched as a kid that really kind of shaped you into the movie lover that you are today? I feel like if we're talking Disney, you could probably tell where this is going. (laughs) One of my, one of my very first movie memories ever, whether it is, you know, thinking about the first time I saw a movie in the theater, the first time I got full blown obsessed with a movie and a movie that is still in my top five of all time to this day is The Nightmare Before Christmas. Really? Oh, what a great movie. I love love that movie. That movie's a special, special movie to me. I was watching horror movies that I shouldn't have been watching at a very, very young age, but that was very very appropriate for my age when it came out. And I just fell so in love with, with that world and those characters and the music and also the art of stop motion animation in general, which still wows me to no end to this day and to see how far that craft has come, but also how that movie still holds up and really does play as perfectly today as it did the first time I saw it. It's mind blowing every single time. It really is. It's so true how well that movie holds up. It's awesome. I know whenever we talk about like, oh my gosh, like how old is that movie? I always forget because it feels so relevant. Like it happened yesterday. 1993. (laughs) Wow. See, 1993. That's crazy. 30 years ago this year. Wow. Wow. Now I feel old. (laughs) (laughs) That is, that's such a great choice. (laughs) Well, let's talk a little bit more about Collider and your job in general. For those who don't know, could you tell us a little bit, what is Collider and kind of how did you get into, um, into your job? So when I went to college, I studied journalism and I I just really, I like, 
I like storytelling and I, I like uh, I like feeling knowledgeable about something and sharing information that could could move or touch or inform someone else. And after I got out of college and I had my first internship that turned into my first job, I was given the opportunity to cover the Tribeca Film Festival. Oh, cool. And I loved movies before that. I just don't think I fully understood that it could actually be a job to talk about movies. <laughs> so the, <laughs> the second I was at Tribeca and doing doing my job, but speaking only about film, I'm like, oh, well, this, this is the perfect fit. This is all I ever <laughs> want to do. So I kept doing it. And that turned into interviewing and reviewing movies. And then I started to feel bad about reviewing movies without having any understanding of how they were made. So I, I left the, and didn't leave the industry. I was working and going to school at the same time, but I decided to get an MFA in, in film producing and nice. I made a movie and I, have great respect for anybody out there who has ever made a movie because it's one of the <laughs> hardest things that I've ever done in my life. And it really <laughs> taught me that while I have great respect for the craft, that respect needs to be like let out into the world via me celebrating other people's work and not me that. making those films <laughs> and shows. So I'm very happy to literally be doing exactly that through interviews. It's just a fascinating process to me. Every single stage of the process from developing an idea to writing it to all the little corners of production that we maybe don't talk about super often. And then also how everything can change yet again in the edit and then getting it out into the world and the business side of it. There, there isn't a single corner of this industry that, that I don't light up when I talk about. So that, that path. You yeah, on your, on your, you're in your voice on your but, face. Like this is, you just love film. It's so fun. It's like, my head was like exploding as I was rattling off all the things I like to talk about. And I only <laughs> named like the smallest fraction of, of what it takes <laughs> to get something from script to screen. True. That was very true. Well, in speaking into your, you know, specific to your job, is there any lessons that you've learned along the way in your journey that feel like, you know, have really shaped you or, you know, for those, like you said, when you've talked to film students, it's kind of like an advice, you know, something you wish you would have known at a younger age. Something I wish I would have known at a younger age. I probably would have liked to have known a little sooner that it, that this was possible. I spent, <laughs> really? a, I spent a really long chunk of my career not being able to call what I do a job. I think hmm. also because when I when I was first starting in this industry, the like Collider included and other websites were often referred to as movie blogs, which to me conveys hobby more than it does job. And right. something also felt very wrong about loving what I did so much and calling it a job. Like it couldn't be real if I loved it this much. It couldn't really be a job if I loved it this much, right? Right. But it, tur it turns out it was. So I think I would probably nudge myself into respecting the fact that I that I did have a job for a lot longer <laughs> than I was saying it, and that. And then the other thing that I keep thinking about often, and I think has like been one idea that has shaped me at different stages of my career is like specifically when it comes to doing interviews is that mm -hmm. I usually only ask questions that I genuinely want to know the answer to. That's, mm -hmm. that's usually a good, a good barometer. And I do understand that there are certain times when you need to ask certain questions so that your audience is informed, even sure. if you might know the answer. But I always like to shape those questions in a way that I suspect the answer I might get would be, you know, fulfilling to me as well. And I don't know, it just feels like a, a barometer that has kind of served me well. That's a really good advice, actually. I, I really love that because it's like, you know, 
it is hard when you're talking to somebody and you, you know, you may know the answer, but you want to make sure that everybody does. So shaping it in a way. Yeah. That's really cool. I love that. That's mm-hmm. advice for myself. Usually you can find more information because I'm also, uh, maybe an over researcher. I, mm-hmm. I prepare maybe a little more than I should for every interview that I do. And sometimes I'll hear someone tell another interviewer a story that I really like. And then the game becomes, how do I get them to tell that story, but add another layer to it? Oh, that's funny. I love that. What's sleuthing? That's good. You, you <laughs> that's go what it feels like that a little bit. I do like puzzles. Okay. Well, I think I know the answer to this question, but I'm going to ask it anyways. What do you think that kid you would say about the job that you have now? Like what is one of the coolest (laughs) moments in your career that like kid you would be like, Oh my God, I cannot believe that I talked to this person or I did. I'm doing this. Kid kid me would probably be looking and going like, is this real life? Which I still (laughs) say to myself quite often. If I see like a picture of me interviewing someone, I'm like, did that actually happen? I thought I dreamt that. I'll, I'll go back to uh, I'll go back to Nightmare Before Christmas because just recently I had the opportunity to talk to Danny Elfman for Wednesday and nice. my Nightmare Before Christmas like loving self was just like mind blown. I he's he's an icon. He's an icon to me. So that that was a a pretty a pretty big unforgettable moment. That is so cool. I love. Oh, what a dream come true. Oh, how fun. Yeah, amazing. All right, Perry, are you ready to take on the Insider Five? Oh, I was definitely born ready for this. <laughs> All right, let's do it. What was your earliest memory of being a Disney movie fan? There's going to be no surprise in this answer whatsoever. It was definitely Nightmare Before Christmas. <laughs> Remember falling in love with that movie to the point that here's here's a good little story for this. My mom is a really talented piano player and she always wanted me to play piano and I just didn't like it. I found my instrument later on in life. I did not like it. The only thing that got me to actually go to my lessons and at least try is that she got me the Nightmare Before Christmas sheet music. Oh. And I I, pl- I played that music, but I played no other music. That was all, that was it. That was it, that was it. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, at least she tried, right? She tried to hook you in. You know, I I found my musical path eventually, but it was not the piano. (laughs) Okay. If you could ride only one ride all day at a Disney park, which would it be? It would definitely be Space Mountain. Excellent choice. I'm a big, big thrill seeker. I will do pretty much anything, whether it's a roller coaster, bungee jumping, jumping out of a plane, but there's something special about an old school in the dark roller coaster that I truly cannot get enough of. It's so great. And I don't know if you've been to Disneyland Paris, but I had gone a couple years ago and knew nothing about like the rides or the differences, but Space Mountain is not the same and it has loops. And I was like, oh, I was not expecting this, but I love this ride. And so this is so cool that it was different. <laughs> like upside down loops? Yeah. Isn't that crazy? So That's my kind of roller coaster. Ooh, new thing on the bucket list. I know. I was like, oh, I wasn't expecting this, which was kind of, I, you know, ruined the surprise for you, but it's really fun. So oh, that, that just makes me even more hyped and it makes me even more uh, like, ur- it ups the urgency to get myself over there now. Right. <laughs> okay. It's Disney karaoke night. Which song are you singing? First of all, no one wants me anywhere near that karaoke night. I do I do not sing. I am an admirer of karaoke, but no one wants to actually see me do it. I'll, 
I'll say I'll say two things. I'll stick with Nightmare Before Christmas. And if I had to pick anything, this is Halloween is one of my favorite songs from that movie. So I'd probably pick that, but I'll loop back to the music thing. Uh-huh. I was not a piano player. I did become a saxophone player. Oh, and cool. At my bat mitzvah on the saxophone, I played Can You Feel the Love Tonight? And I will never forget it. That is so, oh, wow. That is so cool. What t- can, two great choices. Can I bring my saxophone to karaoke night? Everyone Absolutely. should just, it will spare everybody's eardrums. So <laughs> they should just say yes. <laughs> okay. You're invited to a Disney themed costume party. Who or what do you dress as? So this is another thing that I'm bad at. <laughs> I I deeply admire anyone who can make their own costume or cosplayers. That is a craft that I am not capable of doing, but I am just constantly in awe of whenever I go anywhere, Halloween parties, conventions. So probably the best idea for me might be to be zero from Nightmare Before Christmas and just okay. like have some sort of sheet draped over me like <laughs> like a ghost. If I was able to actually, I guess I could buy the pieces too, but if I could yeah. actually make something legit, I would want to be a Mandalorian. I just, I love oh, nice. the design of Mandalorian armor and how it can reflect, you know, like culture, their history, mm. uh, individual personality. So I would love to design my own Mandalorian armor. I love that. I feel similarly like easy for a practicality, but Mandalorian would be such a cool, like epic skills costume to have. <laughs> one day, one day. One day. <laughs> All right. Final question. Which Disney character has the best life advice and what is it? I'm definitely... This is another movie that is currently in my top five movies of all time. It is also my favorite Pixar movie of all time. It's Inside Out. Nice. I cannot believe how much I learned from that movie about processing emotions, but like probably the biggest lesson from that movie and and something that I find deeply valuable and important is the fact that sadness is indeed valuable. We're, We're always, you know, being told, you know, don't be sad, like be happy, like in the most, in the most broad, simplest terms there. But you you can't be happy unless you, you embrace the sadness and you actually think about why you feel that way and you use that as an opportunity to grow. So inside out kind of cementing for me that all emotions are valuable, even if they are labeled as negative generally, that's that's not necessarily the case and, and everything should be considered there. That's an excellent, excellent choice. Thank you so much, Perry, for joining us and to talk about your fandom and for taking on the Insider Five. It was a pleasure. My pleasure as well. I am here to talk about roller coasters and Nightmare Before (laughs) Christmas anytime you want. All day. Thank you. (laughs) That's our show. Marvel Studios' Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania is now playing in theaters. So you don't miss any upcoming podcast episodes, subscribe and follow Disney Movie Insiders Presents. And while you're there, we'd love it if you gave us a rating and review. Visit DisneyMovieInsiders.com or our app and enter bonus code SUBATOMIC. The code expires March 14th, 2023 at 11.59 p.m. Pacific time. Membership is required. Limit one redemption per account. Visit DisneyMovieInsiders.com for terms and conditions. We'll catch you next time, Insiders, with more Disney movie magic.